Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin to read this morning in verse number 24. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject. It's part of ministry. It's part of ministry. Colossians chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 24. I'll invite you to stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. When Colossians chapter 1 begin to read in verse number 24, the Bible says these words, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us, challenge us. God, I pray that you'll convict the lost today of where they stand before you today, lost in their sin, their need for Christ. And God, I pray that men and women who've never been saved during this time of invitation will not further harden their hearts against you, but will turn today and bow their knee to Christ's lordship. And God, I pray that you'll encourage our church today. And Lord, you'll speak to us. And God, I pray that in these days, our lives truly will be marked by sinless suffering. By God, by sovereign stewardship. And God, by striving, Lord, strenuous striving as we seek to labor for souls, to encourage, to teach doctrine. That when you find us, Lord, when you come again, you will, you promised you will, when you come again for your church, you'll find us faithfully living on mission just like the Apostle Paul did. God, bless this time. Call us into your will. Convict us, challenge us. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Remember that as we, we read this, um, we're blessed to sit here on a, a padded pew and in a, a warm sanctuary, but Paul was writing from prison. He was writing from a very uncomfortable uh, situation. But he continues to teach and to encourage a church that was facing a lot of obstacles. Remember that Epaphras had brought the gospel from Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and because of that, he began to live on mission. People got saved, and a church was planted there at Colossae. And the devil wasn't going to stand for that, just like he never will against any spiritual life or against any body of believers. And so he sought to attack that church, one through Rome's occupation. Remember that during that time, it was very difficult for those who were all in. I mean, fully surrendered to Christ's lordship to survive. They couldn't buy, sell, or trade because they wouldn't renounce fully their faith in Christ. They would not declare that Caesar is Lord, like Rome uh, had, had declared and decreed uh, that every person must do. Remember, there were Gnostics. These were a group of individuals who were given to higher learning. They didn't really renounce Jesus Christ. They didn't say that he didn't exist. They just taught truths about him. I mean, they taught untruths. They taught things they said were truths that were untrue. They said that all, all matter was sin. And so therefore, flesh being part 
of matter. Jesus could have never occupied a body of flesh and blood. And so these young, these young Christians, uh, they were confused. They didn't know what to believe. And so Satan begins to take that confusion, which he does with all people, and that can lead to desperation, uh, that can lead to disillusionment, and it can lead to bitterness. And so Paul was writing them to encourage them to stay faithful in ministry. And so he begins to speak from his own life. He begins to speak from where he is and what it is that God has called him to do and how he has approached ministry to try to remind them and to encourage them that there are some things that he has and every all-in disciple is going to experience as they follow Christ in Great Commission service because they're things that are just a part of ministry. Um, every student who has ever signed up for a class, uh, when they sign up for that class, they don't always know everything that's going to go along with it. Uh, but when they get this terrible piece of paper that's called a syllabus, and it's got all the things that the teacher's going to expect for you to do, then they find out what they signed up for. So it is when a person comes to know Christ. We don't know everything that we've signed up for. But nonetheless, just like that student is responsible to the teacher for what's on the syllabus, we as disciples are responsible to Christ for the responsibilities that are within his word. And some of those things Paul begins to reveal that are just a part of ministry. The first thing that he shares uh, with this struggling church, the first thing that's involved in ministry is sinless suffering. Sinless suffering. Paul begins to speak in verse number 24. Look at your Bibles, please. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Uh, Paul begins to share, you know, how it is that he has suffered. A, a passage that really lays out exactly how Paul suffered is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. And I won't read all of those verses, but I'll just highlight some of the points that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, not bragging, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow their knee. But Jesus got in the midst of the furnace with them, and they walked out of the furnace. But don't miss this part. They left the smell of the smoke in the furnace. And there's, there's a lot of people who suffer and go through hardship, but they want to make sure you can always smell the smoke where they were in the furnace. If you understand that, say amen. Some of you will get it when you get home. They want you to smell their clothes. They want you to smell their hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just left the furnace and they kept serving Jesus Christ. And so Paul's not trying to get the church at Corinth to smell his smoke. He's just trying to share with them that he suffered. And through it all, God has been faithful. He said three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Uh, and, and remember, this isn't because he's trying to break in somebody's house. Paul's simply going from town to town doing what God had called him to do, and that's to live on mission. Five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he floated on wreckage. Uh, he experienced bad storms. He was robbed. He experienced hardship from the Jews, hardship from the Gentiles, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among impostors, weariness. He was always tired. There was the toll of this physical hard work. He, he was a bivocational minister making tents. Uh, sleeplessness, hunger, thirst. He fasted often. There was the cold. He was many times in need of clothing and many other things. But he listed the greatest daily burden that he had was the spiritual growth of the church. That was the mental 
and, phys- and, and, and emotional suffering that he experienced day in and day out because of his burden for the church. And he says, in this, he says, I now, I now rejoice in my sufferings. But I want you to understand, these were sinless sufferings. Paul wasn't suffering uh, because of God's disciplining hand. Uh, when we were studying through the book of 1 Samuel and into 2 Samuel, we, we saw sadly how David had wandered from being God's man and a man after God's own heart, and he sinned with Bathsheba. And when he did, and he was out of God's will, he recorded that what his heart was really like in Psalm 32. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. David said, now, now listen, he says, when, when I failed to repent, of my sin and confess it fully. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He says, but I acknowledge my sin, my iniquity, and this I've not hidden. And so when David confessed his sin, he began to experience renewal, but also physical renewal. So David was suffering because of sin. Now don't miss this. Paul's suffering... But it's sinless suffering. You know, a lot of times people will do, I don't have the dumb things in the life of the church. They'll just do some dumb things that are outside of God's will. And when Matthew 18 and 2 Corinthians 5, when we begin to deal with those individuals and to encourage them to repent and to make right with the Lord, sometimes through pride they won't do that. And then further church discipline takes place. And then those people sometimes, listen to me, don't don't miss where I'm going with this. They'll try to lay it all on the devil and say, Satan has reared his ugly head against me and I'm suffering because of it. No, that person is suffering because of unrepented sin. And so God's dealing with them because of that and then God will deal with them personally. Paul here had committed no sin. He says in verse number 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings. These were sinless sufferings. Paul, he experienced this suffering because first off, don't miss, it was predicted. He was was already told up front when he began to follow Christ in Acts chapter 9 that he was going to suffer. God called Ananias to go call and speak to Paul. He says, and you tell him, Acts chapter 9 verse 16, how many things he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. It's not because he's going to sin and because he's going to walk away from my word and I'm going to have to discipline him because the book of Hebrews says uh, uh, the, the Lord whom he loves, he chastens just like a father chastens his own son. He says, you tell him everything he's going to suffer for my name's sake. These things were predicted. John chapter 15 verses 18 through 20. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. I want to tell you something this morning, friend. If, you, if you're one of those that says, well, everybody just likes me. You may want to examine that. I want to tell you something. Everybody's got a good testimony. The question is, who's the crowd that thinks highly of them? Are you asleep this morning? Brother Coleman's not, but is anybody else awake? Everybody has, listen to me, Osama bin Laden had a good testimony among his own people. Adolf Hitler had a good testimony among his own people. Vladimir Putin has a good testimony among his own people. 
The question is, what are the people like who think highly of this person? Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. And so there are people who say, well, man, everybody loves that person. Well, then, friend, I seriously doubt that person's living for Jesus Christ. Because there are a lot of people that hated Paul. This was predicted. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Yet because you were not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore remember the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. So this sinless suffering that Paul was experiencing, he was trying to help this church at Colossae understand, listen, it's not going to change. If it's not the Gnostics, it's going to be someone else. If it's not Rome, it's going to be somebody else. Satan will never stop Ephesians 6 working through different avenues to try to cause you to become discouraged and to quit. And so Paul says, this is, this is predicted. He says that the, 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 the suffering that you have, he says, it, it's going to happen. But it's not because of you. John chapter 15, verse 21 says, it's because of Jesus. Jesus says, they're really not after you, so don't take it personal. He says, the persecution that you're experiencing, he says, it's because of me. So sinless suffering is just a part of ministry. It's predicted. But not only that, I want you to understand that it's praiseworthy. You know, and that doesn't make sense to our human minds. How can I give thanks to God that I'm suffering, that I'm experiencing hardship? Paul was. We've already gone through the thing, all the things that he experienced, but now he's in prison. But look what it says in verse number 24. Look at your Bibles. He says, I now, what? Rejoice. He said, I rejoice not in my freedom, not in my acquittal, but in my sufferings, he says, for you. Paul says, I take joy every day when I think about what I've experienced and what I'm continuing to go through every day for the cause of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 says in verses 2 through 4, to consider it all joy. How? Because God is at work. God's doing something. But still yet, James says, you consider it all joy when you fall into various testings. God doesn't tempt us, but he allows us to be tried. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. But isn't that what we're so prone to do? When hardship and adversity comes because of our stand for Christ. And the devil seeks to argue, Well, God, why is this happening? You know, what, what, did, what did I do? Because, you know, I was listening, you know, to the health and wealth guy, and he says, you know, Every day is going to be like Friday. I mean, it's just going to be double coupon day every single day. And friend, that's not the case. Our suffering is predicted. Jesus says it's, it's going to happen. He says, so when it does happen, don't think it's some strange thing that's happened to you. Listen to verse number 13. Peter says, but rejoice. He says when these things happen. To the extent, listen, that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Christ suffered because of the will of God on his life, we're going to suffer. When you're an all-in disciple, it's just part of ministry. There's going to be hardship and adversity. But rejoice to the extent that when you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, listen, for the name of Christ, blessed are you. He says, blessed are you. 
He says, if, you, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, bless you. For the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, Christ is glorified. Friend, I want to tell you, when the devil works through some avenue to try to cause you to suffer because of your all-in state for Jesus Christ. I mean, you're all in. There's nothing left to lay down. You have forsaken all. You're following Jesus Christ. When you suffer because of that, Jesus is glorified in heaven. That's what the Bible says. He says it's, it's praiseworthy. Remember Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in, in prison, beaten half to death. And the Bible says, and at midnight, what happened? They began to sing praises and to pray to God. They thought about Paul thought, you know, man, I used to put people in here, but now I'm in here. And he realized, friend, he was just like Jesus Christ at that moment. And it glorified the Lord. And he began to sing praises to Christ because of what was happening. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, and verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul again speaking to a very troubled church that was going through a lot of difficulty and, and Paul began to speak now about physical physical hardship that he was experiencing he says unless I should be exalted above the measure of the abundance of the revelations and Paul had a lot God had revealed so much to him now friend listen when we read the book of Colossians this isn't something Paul got together with a focus group you know he got Luke and Demas and John Mark together and Timothy he says now now boys we need, what are some things I can tell that, what, what, what do they want to hear? You know, what do they want to hear? You know, there's a lot of churches that do that now. They, they, they put out flyers. What is it that you want to hear? Well, friend, I, you know, all I want to hear is what the Word of God. Uh, and so, but they didn't do that. Paul just made himself available to God each day. Don't miss this. And God began to lay truce on his heart and moved on his heart to write letters to write epistles. And so the Lord had revealed a lot of things to him. When Paul was stoned at Derby, he never would fully admit it, but he was the guy that went to heaven. He, he saw things that were unspeakable. And note, friend, when he went to heaven, when he died at Derby, he didn't come back and write a book about 90 minutes in heaven to try to make money on it. The things that he saw were so glorious he wouldn't even speak of. And because of the, of the things that he saw, the abundance of revelation, he said to the church of Corinth, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should exalt above all measure concerning this thing. He says, I pled with the Lord three times that it would depart from me. But Jesus says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now listen to what Paul says. He had now, not just in prison, he had some physical ailment that Luke... Luke had no cure for. He had a doctor with him everywhere he went. But it was beyond Luke's grasp how to treat this. He couldn't treat the symptoms. He couldn't get to the core that was, was happening. They prayed about it. Paul was on the prayer list. They could have anointed him with all friends where he had just slid down the street when he walked. It wouldn't matter. The Lord allowed him to have a physical burden of some kind. And Paul says... Because of that, because of what the Lord revealed to him, he says, Therefore, listen, I will most gladly boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen to verse 10. He says, Therefore, I take pleasure in this infirmity. He says, This suffering is it's praiseworthy because 
there was a purpose. Paul praised God for the purpose. So these, these sinless sufferings, they're predicted, they're praiseworthy. But third, I want you to notice, they're purposeful. God has a purpose for the suffering. Look at verse number 24, again, of our text in Colossians chapter 1. Look at it. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. What's it say? For you. There was a purpose. The reason that Paul had experienced all of these sufferings was for the church. It was for the people who were going to be saved. Those that were going to be discipled. Those who were going to continue to, to walk after the Lord. He says there's, there's a purpose in this. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. The Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. There was a purpose for Christ's suffering. What was the purpose? It was, it was the just for the unjust. That, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Christ suffered, friends, so that you could be made from the sinner you are into the sinner that you were into the saint that you are now in his sight. And Paul says, I've suffered so that others can experience that same forgiveness, that same life, and that same joy. Because of his faithfulness to the Great Commission, he experienced. Don't miss that. If Paul would have continued on being Saul, he'd have never had one thing happen to him. Nobody would ever beat him. Nobody would have ever imprisoned him. He would have stayed comfortable, and everything would have been convenient. Everything would have been just fine. And that's what everybody was telling on the outside of the church at Colossae. Listen, you can buy, sell, and trade down in the guilds. If you'll just stop saying that Christ is Lord and Caesar's not. Stop, stop being so legalistic. Stop being so fundamental. Stop saying that there are things that are always right and things that are always wrong because God said it. So quit, quit talking that way. Stop talking about holiness. Stop talking about lordship. I mean, just, just get along. Jesus loves everybody. And just, just talk about love. And everything will be better. That was the pressure from the outside. And Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings that you've been able to hear the gospel. Friend, I want to ask you, how have you suffered so that somebody else could hear the gospel the way that you heard it? We live in such a, day, I mean, we, we live in such a world that is controlled by comfort and convenience. Now the church is organized that way. I mean, preachers are running around absolutely scared to death over who's going to leave next. You know, if we, if we push, push anybody in just any, any little way, you know, they're going to they're gonna go down to the comfortable place. I mean, where, where they, I mean, literally, they carry you in the church, give you your latte, carry you to your seat. You know, if the smoke's not enough, they'll make it bigger. You know, if it's too much, they'll give you a gas mask during the music show. Every, listen, everything's about you. Friend, I want to tell you something. The life of a disciple is all about Christ. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm suffering. He says, I'm not glorying. Paul says, I'm not trying to get you to smell the smoke. I'm just trying to tell you and to encourage you. If you're an all-in disciple, you're going to suffer. 
And friend, I'm telling you, in these last days, it's not going to get easier in America. It can get in, easier in individual lives and homes. Finally, the Bible promises there will be a falling away. Ministry's not going to get easier. We, 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 are, we are living in the day of a falling away where people are going to a Christless church. Oh, they're talking about Jesus, friend, but it's a placebo. The things that need to be there in the gospel, they're not there. And we're going to have to find balance in that. But I'm you, it's not going to be easy to do ministry in the last days. If you live for Christ, I'm telling you, you're going to have friends. If you're an all-in person, you're going to have family that's not going to want to be around you. They're going to shun you. You're going to have neighbors. You're going to have friends. But if, you, if you're this type of person that just wants to make everybody happy, I've got to keep everybody happy, you're not going to make God happy. There's going to be, there's going to be sinless suffering. And Paul's experiencing that. He says, verse number 24, he says, I, and he says, I have filled up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He wasn't talking about that Jesus didn't suffer enough. He says, Jesus told me that I would suffer for his name's sake. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Don't miss this. And Paul said, in, in the mind of Christ, God knew what the first part of suffering would be and the last part. And Paul says, every day I just keep checking them off. I keep checking them off. He says, in one of these days, he's going to take me home. He says, I'm filling it up in my flesh. He says, every day I just continue to follow the Lord. And so it was for their purpose, but it was also for Paul. Every time Paul suffered, he was, he was growing. James chapter 1 teaches us that when we suffer, when we're able to grow, we, we grow to develop steadfastness in our life. And we develop wisdom. The more that you suffer for Jesus Christ, friend, the more you grow in maturity. The more you grow in your commitment to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse number 5, Paul continued you know, to speak and to, to challenge that church. And he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Paul says there's a purpose. For you, it's that you're able to hear the gospel. He says, for me, he says, the more I suffer, the more Jesus gets to console me. He loves on me. He strengthens me. See, friend, don't miss this. When your life is not marked by discipleship, you're walking in your own strength. You're on your own. You're calling your path. You're, you're living as you want to. But when you're living the life that called is that the Lord has called you to live, there's going to be sinless suffering that's going to go along with it. But when that happens, Jesus is going to come there, friend. And I, I loved when, I was, when our kids were little, and they're, they're too old to do it now. And I wish they'd do it still sometimes. When they would fall down, they'd come and say, Daddy, kiss it. Daddy, kiss it. You know, wipe those tears away and just to be able to hold them and to feel those little fat arms just wrap around your neck. And to squeeze them, there's nothing like it, is there? Well, friend, I'm telling you, when we suffer, I can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm being faithful to what you've called me to do. And God, it's hard right now. Friend, I'm telling you, I've never seen them, but I've felt those nail-pierced hands just wrap around and pat me on the back and say, son, it's going to be all right. I want to take care of you. I love you. Paul says, I'm able to experience the consolation of the Lord. 
He says, and, and if it wasn't for the suffering, he says, I, I couldn't experience that. There wouldn't be that fellowship of experiencing God's loving touch and his loving hand upon my life. To experience Christ in a way he couldn't without the suffering. Sinless suffering, listen, it's a part of living on mission as an all-in disciple. And I want to tell you, friend, the definition of all-in is from Jesus. It's not from us. There's a lot of people that think they're all-in, but according to God's standard, they're not all-in. He says what all-in is. It is there's no one and nothing that's before Christ. He calls all the shots. And when that, that marks your life, Sinless suffering is just a part of it. Paul's trying to encourage them that. Something else that's a part of just serving Christ day in, day out is, is sovereign stewardship. Sovereign stewardship. Look at verse number 25. Paul says, continues on verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Look at verse 25. Of which I became a minister. Here it is. According to the stewardship from God. She says there's a sovereign stewardship. God placed a call upon Paul's life. Now, don't you listen to me, friend. You may not have known it when you trusted Christ. Just like a student doesn't know it. When they sign up for a class, all that's on that syllabus, all that's in those requirements. But one of the requirements on your life when you repented and trusted Jesus Christ is you are responsible for the Great Commission. You're responsible to live on mission. And then there's so that, that, that general call that we all share. But then there's ministry within the church. God gave you a spiritual gift. And to not use that spiritual gift, to open it, to develop it, and to use it, friend, is a sin against God. It's a sin against God. The Bible says, to him knows do good and doeth it not. To him it is. It's sin. And so many people just want to show up to church and sit. They show up, you know, with a bib on. Feed me entertain me no friend the life of a disciple is not about a bib it's an apron it's it's service it's service and so a lot of people i really believe think you know well mika i serve by writing checks i serve by attending that's not that and we're glad you're here and keep on coming so that you can be fed but the purpose of you being fed is to equip you so that you can serve that's the purpose of all of this it's not to entertain you. You know, when, when the choir's up here singing, when, when the girls are singing, it's not to entertain you. It's to encourage you. Give you an opportunity to, to worship. That is just to enjoy, to sing truths about Jesus. Worship is enjoying the presence of Christ. And so that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, to give you a show, give you a good talk. Good talk, preacher. I'm not here to give you a talk. I'm here to share God's Word with you so that you can receive that word, the Holy Spirit can take that word, Romans 8, 29, conform you into the image of Christ so that you can better serve the Lord day in and day out. That's, that's, that's the stewardship. That's a sovereign stewardship, stewardship from God. It's the call God had placed on his life to bring the gospel, now for him very specifically, to the Gentiles. Who's God called you to take the, the gospel to? You know, who are your people? Paul's were the Gentiles. Who do you have an inroad into? This, this, was, this was a sovereign stewardship. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord sent Ananias again to say, look, you go to him. He's going to be my voice to the Gentiles. 
He wasn't going to walk past a Jew. But God had a very specific stewardship, a very specific ministry for him. And that was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul knew that. Paul understood that. Paul spoke about that when he wrote to the churches in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2 and in verse number 7. Paul says, on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was committed to Peter. He says God had a sovereign stewardship for Peter to take the gospel to the Jews. He had a sovereign stewardship upon my life to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I want everybody to look up here at me. If you've been saved, say amen. You have a sovereign stewardship from God. God has placed a sovereign responsibility upon your life to take the gospel to a certain group of people. You're not to walk by anybody. But there are certain people you have more opportunity to build a relationship with than the person sitting next to you. God has people he's placed before you somewhere. And so as you live, remember, you hear a missionary say, well, you know, I'm going to go be a missionary in China. They may do missions in China, but Christ didn't die for a piece of ground. He died for people. That person is a missionary to Chinese people. And so you're to be a missionary to people. Now, don't you understand something? If you don't, if you don't obey that, you're going to give an account to Christ one day. You can't sure you say, well, I just didn't want to do that. It doesn't matter whether you want to do it or not. It's what he's called all of us to do. Paul had a sovereign stewardship, and he's trying to remind that church at Colossae, who people are on the outside saying, look, stop being so legalistic. Stop talking about being all in. If y'all would ease back a little bit, you'd probably have more people come to your church. I mean, I read a book on church growth, and it said just talk about encouraging things. Well, friend, I don't care about any of that. My, my desire is, friend, I just want to be like Jesus Christ. And I want him to be honored and glorified in all things. And I don't want him to be disappointed. I want him to be disappointed in me. And that's what Paul wanted for this church. He wanted them to live lives that honored and glorified Christ in all things. In order for that to happen, they needed to understand that there was a sovereign stewardship. Look at your Bibles again in verse number 25. He says, I became a minister. He says, I became a servant. The etymology of that word is the lowest form of service. It's through the dust. Friend, listen, you can't get lower than the dust unless you go underground and then you're dead. The lowest form of alive service is down, face down in the dirt. Face down in the dirt. And that's, listen, that's the life of a steward of the gospel. I'll tell you something. Living on mission is dirty business. You got to get involved in lost people's lives. And lost people live like lost people. You got to hear things. See things and listen to them talk about their life without Christ. And then try to encourage them, friend, to let Christ take their life and make them into the new person he wants them to be. And then there's the stress, the emotional stress. that they, Remember, Paul's greatest suffering, again, friend, was his burden for the church. Why won't this person be saved? Why won't this person get all in? Why has Demas forsaken me and gone back to the world? He was in... Then he was half in, and now he's all out. Why, God, why is this happening? 
And the devil's like, Paul, just quit. He says, no, I have a sovereign stewardship on my life. He says, I'll not quit. He says, and you can't quit. Look at verse 25. He says, God called me to be a servant, a sovereign steward of the gospel. It's through the dust ministry. Why verse 25? Look at the, the latter part of it. He said, it was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Well, what word was that? Well, verse number 26 says that. It's the, the word that is the mystery which had been hidden from the ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is that proto-evangelism passage. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord told Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. Now the gospel was going to the Gentiles. The Jews couldn't see that. But Paul says, I'm fulfilling the word of God. It's something that had once been hidden. It was a mystery. But now, he says, God wills it to be so. Don't you listen to me. God wants your neighbor to be saved. He wants your co-worker to be saved. He wants the person that, you know, you, you just know about, know that they're not in church. and he, he wants you to know that that's really not what the issue is. It's that they need to be saved. He wants the gospel to come to their life and to change them just like it changed you. He says that's the purpose of the, the sovereign stewardship, to share the gospel. Verse number 27, he says, To them God willed, this is the Gentiles. He's speaking to the church at Colossae. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friend, listen, all the people on the news that are driving you nuts when you hear them speak and talk because of their vileness and their foolishness, Christ wants them to be saved. He wants, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he died that Vladimir Putin might be saved. All of these generals, all those people, all the people that are pushing the red buttons, they're killing all those innocent people over there in, in, in your project. He wants those people to be saved. So God send missionaries over there to tell them. Pray that the church will live on mission. But don't you listen. Just as much as he wants them to be saved, he wants those people that are around us to be saved. And he's placed a sovereign stewardship on your life to go and tell them. If you've been saved, raise your hand. If somebody did not tell you how to be saved, put your, I didn't, Simon didn't say put your hand down, keep your hands up. If someone didn't tell you how to be saved, put your hand down. Did somebody tell you? Did somebody tell you how to be saved, yes or no? Then you've got to tell somebody. That person fulfilled the sovereign stewardship God had placed on their life to take the gospel to you. And Paul was reminding the church that was going to listen to the devil and say, man, times are getting crazy. Let's just say comfortable. And let's, let's, let's get easy. He says, no, there's, there's, there's something that's a part of ministry. It's a sovereign stewardship to share the gospel. Third night close, not only is there sinless suffering, a sovereign stewardship, but there is strenuous striving. There's strenuous striving. Look at verse number 29. Paul says, to this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That word striving in the Greek is where we get our word agonize. There's nothing in here about comfort or convenience. The, the, the word that he's talking about, something that marked his ministry, was agony. 
It was agonizing, strenuous labor. And more so spiritually and emotionally than physically. Friend, I'll tell you something. When, when, you, when you seek to live on mission and you're all in day and night, it will wear you out emotionally and spiritually. It'll work on you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus prayed in the garden, his, his, his counts, his life was marked by great agony. So much so, friend, that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was in agony as he looked at the cup and he saw that he was going to have to drink my sin and your sin. It, it agonized him. And Paul says, as I think about all these people that, that still need to be saved, the people that have pushed away the gospel, the people that said they, they were saved, but now they're, they're, they're going to the, the church down the road where everything goes. Paul says, that, that agonizes me. He says, it absolutely wears me out. He said, my, my, my ministry and your ministry is going to be marked by striving. He says, to this end I also labor, a striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. There's no apathy in Paul, only agony. He didn't have a whatever attitude. His life was marked by agony. He agonized over the state of people's lives. He had deep concern. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. He says, it's to this end also labor. Well, what end was it? Look at verse 28. What, what was it that he was doing that he agonized and he strained in so much? Look at verse 28. He says, it's preaching Jesus. Him we preach. And I want to remind you, friend, that's all of him. Not the parts that are just palatable and convenient. He preached all of Jesus. And a, a gospel that is absent of lordship is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, him we preach. Him we, we're, we're warning everyone. What are they warning people about? That if you die without Christ, you're going to go to hell. Friend, there, there are churches in this county that won't even mention hell because they're afraid somebody will leave. And I want to say to all those people, getting, you say, well, I'm afraid we might run. We're going to run them off to hell number two. If someone's lost, they're already going to hell. And we need to warn people of that. I mean, can, you, can you imagine? I, I read a story several years ago about one of these big barges that hit a bridge on the Mississippi River where I-40 crosses it. And there's a big arc in the bridge. It's so, it's so wide. And these guys were bass fishing one morning. And they saw it when it happened. And they, they came down, they saw the barge hit it, they saw the, the bridge collapse, and all of a sudden they saw cars just start sailing off into the water. And they said the part that broke their hearts was one of the cars went off and they saw a diaper bag float to the top. And he says they began to tie their boat off and try to scramble up that bank. They ran over all the kudzu and the riprap trying to get to the top and were just, just stopping, doing everything they could to try to stop every car. Why? Because the bridge was out. They didn't want anybody to die. Friend, that's what God calls us to do, to warn people. That's what people need to hear today. Hell's real, and that's where lost people go who don't trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. He says, Him we preach, Him we warn, and then we teach every man. What's he saying there? We're trying to disciple people. We're trying to equip Christians with doctrine so that they can live lives that are pleasing to Jesus Christ. How, Paul says, how... How is it that that's agonizing? 
Because it's, it's like somebody pulling up to a full-service gas station. It says, fill her up. And then when the guy walks over and put it in, the guy pulls up five feet. And then the guy goes up and he backs up five feet. And he tries to... That's what we feel like. We're just chasing people down, trying to fill them up. Teaching the Word of God. They're going here and going there and going here and going there. And we're agonizing, trying to teach people God's Word. Paul says it's, it's strenuous striving. And friend, you know if you really give yourself to the ministry God has called you into, it will wear you out. Can I get a witness? It'll wear you out. It's just Him we preach. Him we labor in, warning every single man. It's for, for, the, for a single purpose. Look at verse 28. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Don't you look at me. That is my singular goal as your pastor. My singular goal. God didn't send me here to run for popularity contest. If you don't like me, that's not my problem. I'm not trying to tick anybody off. I'm not. I want, I want, I want everybody to be friends and to get along. But God sent me here for one singular purpose. And that's for you to be presented in the presence of Jesus Christ, absolutely perfect, looking not like you, but only like Him. That's the purpose of ministry. That's why this church exists. It's so that every single person that we have the opportunity to witness to might be reached with the gospel, taught the Word of God, and one day stand in the presence of Jesus Christ and say, hey, where'd you go, church? Greenwood Baptist Church. And everybody that's involved in church can say, praise the Lord to the glory of God. They don't look like themselves. They only look like Jesus. Suffering, stewardship, striving. Listen to me. It's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. We, we suffer we serve in stewardship, it's strenuous. That strenuous activity causes us to suffer. We suffer, we keep serving in stewardship, and it's this agonizing service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me, it's all part of ministry. It's never going to change until we step into His presence. But He's promised He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. And Paul says, all of these things that are impossible in human flesh, he says, I can do it only alone. Philippians 4, 13, through Christ who strengthens me. It's him that does it through us. It's all part, it's all part of ministry. So I want to ask you today, you know, do you, do you suffer for Jesus Christ? And does, that, does that mark your life? Are you faithful to the stewardship of the gospel ministry? If you were standing before Jesus, you know, and he said, faithful, unfaithful, how would he mark your life? And are you agonizing? Listen to me on this. Are you agonizing and laboring? Or are you apathetic and lazy? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. It's all part of ministry. You may not know when it was in there, but it's in there. Paul demonstrated he lived it out. Are you... As a brother and sister in Christ, if you know if Christ came today, he'd be disappointed with how you've been conducting ministry. Have a new start today. Have a brand new start. And say, Lord, things are going to be different. Things are going to be different. Maybe this needs to be your prayer of commitment today. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for the day that you saved me. And you changed my direction, my eternal direction, all because your Spirit convicted me, I repented, and I received Jesus to be Lord of my life because of what Christ did on Calvary. But Lord, my life's not been marked by surrender. God, I want a new beginning today. Encourage me, strengthen me. Strengthen me for the suffering that comes with faithfulness. God, help me to grow and to understand more what your calling is upon my life, generally and specifically. Help me to understand what my spiritual gift is. Where's my place of service in the local church? Break my heart over lostness. God, I pray my life will be marked by agonizing labor, striving for the point of sharing Christ, warning people, and teaching people God's Word that I can be a part of the ministries of this church, which you've called this church to do, and that's to present all people perfect in the likeness of Christ in His presence one day. That's my commitment today. And my friend, you can't begin to do any of that until you've been born again. I don't care how religious you are. I want you to listen to me. I don't care how religious you are, how many churches you've been a member of, how many boards you've served on. If you've never been born again by repenting and trusting Christ to be Lord of your life, you're lost. And you need to be saved. That's the need in your life. If you've never turned and trusted Christ, won't you do that right now? He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to save you and give you life and life more abundantly. But you must bow your knee to His Lordship. You've got to spit all your pride out. You've got to humble yourself before Him. And you've got to receive Him to be Lord of your life. You'd be willing to do that. Tell Him so right now in a simple prayer of faith. To say, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. I turn from it to you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I trust you to be Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus. Now begin to make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. And help me to serve and to strive and to labor so that other people might hear and know about you. That's my prayer. Father, I pray you'll speak to your church. Challenge us and encourage us. And God, I pray in these days our lives will not be marked by griping about the darkness that's in this world, but our lives will be marked by faithfulness of helping to share the light of the world, that's Jesus Christ, and to see the lights turned on in people's lives. That's our prayer. I invite you to reverently stand.